Serena. Saga Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Kennedy Hawk. Welcome to the Space Arena Ground Arena podcast, a the Saga podcast, a podcast about the card game Star Wars Unlimited. I wasn't here last episode when you all talked about a bunch of different topics, but we've got the whole crew back here today. So we've got Banana Crapshoot. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Happy to be here. Glad to have you back with us. I'm I'm glad to be back from the Spice Mines of Kessel, but I am no longer having to work second shift this week, so that works out well. And we've got Mr. Ben. How's it going? Uh, apparently, I've been having a much better time than you. I, I had no idea you were in such harsh climate as the Spice you know, Mines of Kessel. <laughs> it's, it's honest work. Um, but so is this. We've got a ton of cool stuff to talk about today on the Saga podcast. So no, Star Wars Unlimited is still not out as a card game, but we've got a bunch of new card reveals to go through. We've got our main topic for tonight, which is going to be community building and how do you start out with a community the right way. Um, so when this game comes out, you can have a community to play with and have a ton of fun. We've got some listener questions, and I think we're also going to give away our promo sets that uh, Banana had arranged. So we'll, we'll be throwing that in there somewhere in the middle, probably. So um, let's let's kick it off with the card reveals and see how quickly we can get through those. And then that'll tell us how, how long we get to talk about community building. While Mr. Ben's pulling that up real quick, I just wanted to ask, um, like, Dan, what have you been playing recently? A lot of things. Um, yeah, probably Lorcana. Right. I've been playing Lorcana. My son's been playing it. He really likes it. Um, but the one I've been playing the most actually is Ashes: Rise of the Phoenixborn. Again, I've got a buddy that plays that as well. Um, and the co-op mode is finally out. I liked mm -hmm. competitive Ashes, but I I wasn't always in the community for it, so it was hard to like really get into it. Maybe that's something that'll be thematic for what we talk about later. But. Uh, with co-op, it can be really fun to play two players. So you get a little bit of that Destiny itch with cards and dice, um, but completely different. So what about you? What have you been playing? Uh, for me, I haven't been playing much card games. I've been playing some Star Wars Unlimited on Felt Table, uh, nice. which is which is a pretty cool tool. Um, I think it's, it's limited, but I think it has its place. And other than that, uh, Sea of Stars recently came out. Um, and that is like a love letter to Chrono Trigger um, video game. And uh, it's it's free if you have like the PlayStation Extra subscription. So I've been messing with that and Boulder's mm. D3. So more what about video you, games. Mr. Ben? Anything exciting? Well, my game group finally got our hands on some Lorcana. Uh, and I am just filled with opinions on that game <laughs> now uh, in my relatively short... I think it's going to have some staying power. Uh, the hardcore card game people who are like, oh, it's too simple. Uh, yeah, man, that's it's going to stay here because of people who I think are non-traditional card gamers. But there's also a lot there to sink your teeth into. Uh, if, you, if you found something to love in Hearthstone, you're going to find something to love in Lorcana, I think. Uh, but by myself... I have been playing DC 
dual force just all the time. And again, I am just full of opinions on how Lex Luthor <laughs> and Batman should be played together. Uh, I'm obsessed with this. Uh, very, very. I, I can't wait till it comes out on something other than PC because I, I don't get to play it as much as I would like because I'm not the biggest PC gamer. Uh, so when that Android client hits, it'll yeah, be it's gonna all be dangerous that. for me when it hits mobile. That's... Yeah, yeah, that's it's gonna be rough. <laughs> all right. Well, we've got lots of cool cards to talk about today, so we'll get kicked off with these Vigilance cards that are on the screen. So we've got a two-cost event. It binds all things with a Vigilance icon. Heal up to three damage from a unit. If you control a Force unit, you may deal that much damage to another unit. So we'll throw it to Mr. Ben. What do you think of this? Uh, it's not the cleanest direct damage spell, but I suspect within the Vigilance faction, this is going to be this is going to be a good removal tool. Yeah, it's going to require the setup to have to have somebody damaged so you can heal them, and you're going to have to have a force unit, but in a lot of card games, the various different factions have things that they're good at and have things that they're poor at, and my guess is that Vigilance is going to struggle a little when it comes to direct damage and removal, and this is probably what a Vigilance removal tool looks like. So in a vacuum, I don't think it's the strongest card, but in this faction, I think it's probably going to see some play. What do you think, uh, Banana? I think... <clears throat> I, I don't know if I think it's good or bad, but what I do know is... Sorry if you can hear all that crap in the background. My cat's going crazy. Um... <laughs> We have a, uh, yeah, so I like where they are leaning into these design spaces where, like, this card isn't dead in draft and sealed if you don't have a force unit, right? You can still use it, and it's still a playable card in sealed and draft. Um, like, by itself, I don't think it's that great. Obviously, if you don't have a force unit, that's when you would want to play this with, you know, force units, obviously. But I like that it's not dead and sealed and draft if you do not have a force unit. Fair. Those are my general I, thoughts. I like this card a lot. I think it has a lot of value, right? If we compare to Open Fire, which was a aggression card we saw that costs three to deal four to a unit. Here you might be dealing three to a unit and healing three. So it's like a six hit point swing. What I don't know is it's, it's heal up to three. So I think if you only had one damage on a unit, you'll only get to deal one damage to something. So you really need like a damaged unit for this to go off well with. But I like that it's not heroism or villain locked, right? It can be included with Sith units that we've seen, like Darth Vader when he flips into a leader unit and things like that. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with the value, right? Paying two to just heal three isn't going to feel great. But I think if you can mm -hmm. heal three and deal three, this card is going to be awesome. So... You got to build around it, I think. Um, next up, I, is... I do want to add one last comment on it with regard to the card art. The moment on Hoth when Luke is hanging there upside down and he's like finally feeling himself in the Force and like finally getting to like pull his lights over. Like eight-year-old me was obsessed with that scene. So seeing this art on a card, I'm automatically going to consider this card to be slightly better, just on the basis of, of the art being such an important scene. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, the next unit is Rugged Survivors. It's a five-cost ground unit with the Vigilance icon. Three attack, five 
uh, hit points, or I can't remember what they're called again now. It has grit, so that this unit gets plus one for each damage on it. And on attack, if you control a leader unit, you may draw a card. We'll uh, go in the same order. Mr. Ben, what do you think? Uh, it's okay. I, I think if you time it so that you guarantee you have your leader out there, so you want to, I guess, play this the turn before you deploy your leader or have some tricks to make your leader sticky enough that you can get that attack off. Five for three, five is okay. You get the damage on it. He attacks for four. Like, none of that impresses me that much. So really, the only words on this card that really stick out to me are draw a card. How difficult is, is it going to be to time a five drop to be able to attack when you have a leader in play? Uh, probably not that hard. It, this to me feels like a, a curve filler for sealed or draft. It's something you grab because you need a five drop, and this one isn't terrible. But I'm not super excited about it. What do you think, Banana? Yeah, I'm not too crazy about it either. I think you're never really going to get the on attack off too often. I don't think people aren't going to let you get that off. I don't think. Um, I think you have to screw around too much to get the value out of this, right? You have to play other Sentinel units. You have to find other ways to protect this card um, so you could get the value out of it. I do think in like a um, a Krennic deck, they would get even more mileage out of this because of his static ability to give damage units plus one, right? So mm -hmm. it's he gets more out of the grit. Um I think maybe Tarkin might have some legs with something like this because he can buff it with experience, which we'll get to. Um, so I think there's ways to get value out of it, but I think you got to screw around too much to get there. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm not super high in this card. I hate to be uh, the same as all of you, but I don't think the on attack is going to go off very often. Um, having played a lot of Lorcana recently, in that game, card draw is very, very important. Right? The, you're drawing one and kind of burying one. Whereas in this game, since we draw two and then have the option to bury a resource, you're not going to feel as card starved. I mean, your opponent isn't either, so you're kind of dealing with equal resources, right? But you're not going to be forced into top decking nearly as frequently as you are in other card games where you're burying resources. So I think card draw is going to be important, but it needs to be card draw that's going to hit and not card draw that you're going to put five resources into and just draw it on an opponent's removal event or something. So I'm not not wowed with Rugged Survivors. If they had the Rebel Tag or something, I'd be a little bit happier, but not currently. All right. Next, we've got a new leader. So Grand Moff Tarkin on his uh, base or leader side. He has an action, spend one resource, and exhaust this. Units to give an experience token to an Imperial unit. Epic action, if you control five or more resources, deploy this leader with the Imperial and the official trait. When he becomes a leader unit, he's in the ground with five cost, um, two attack, seven hit points. On attack, you may give an experience token to another Imperial unit. So we'll go to Banana first this time. What do you think about uh, this new leader we've seen? I love Grand Moff Tarkin. I think he's the best leader we've seen so far. That might be a hot take. I said it in Discord, <laughs> said it on Twitter, and I stand by it. Um, I think if you've messed around at all with the starter decks or the um, like felt table or anything, there's a lot of rounds where 
you might not be able to play all your resources right and you have like one or two left um a lot of times it's one and tarkin helps fill that out and you'd be amazed how much that plus one plus one can matter and does matter mm -hmm. um getting a like uh 10 attack seven health death star stormtrooper is no joke um and it's really great when you get to like turn four and you can flip them and you get the action to give an experience to them to a token uh imperial unit and then you flip them and then you attack and you you know you can buff that same unit again and then right so it's only imperial unit so he's locked into a certain like how you have to build him is all imperial right but I don't think they'd have this leader if we don't have a lot of Imperial support. And then he can play around with stuff like uh, the advanced TIE fighter that gives two experience tokens to an Imperial unit, right? So you can really stack them pretty quickly. And he helps make okay units good and good units better. Um, I just think he brings a lot of stability and can really push some, some units and... I think he brings a lot of value, and I think he's undervalued for the most part. All right. What do you think, Ben? So I think it's worth reminding anybody who may haven't heard or have forgotten that an experience token is just a straight-up plus one, plus one in this game. Uh, I don't know that that's the most intuitive thing to call a plus one, plus one counter, but I'm sure at some point we'll all be used to it. Uh, this guy strikes me as essentially uh, just better than the starter deck Luke Skywalker. It, it's kind of doing everything that Luke wants to do, except it does it just a little bit better. Like, I think the only drawback on Tarkin compared to Luke is he has two attack instead of four. Uh, but the the limit on his undeployed side of having to target an Imperial unit, that is much easier to hit than a unit that just came into play this turn. I also think the plus one plus one is probably going to be more useful than shield tokens, generally speaking. I, I may end up being wrong about that, but I think the idea of getting the attack buff plus making your unit stickier just feels intuitively to me to be worth a little more than a shield. Uh, the, I think Banana's correct that we're going to have enough Imperials in the set to make this make sense and he's not going to feel hobbled. Uh, it just all positive things. I mean, the only, the only even vaguely negative thing I can say about the guy is that his two attack feels a little bit weak, but that's okay because you, he is not your frontline guy. He's making all your other guys stronger so they can go out and do the dirty work for him. Uh, just high praise all around. I think this is going to be a very meaningful leader that's going to see a ton of play, and it's a common, so everybody's going to have him. Fair. I'm not as high on Grand Moff Tarkin as you all are. I do think we'll have enough Imperials that you'll be able to make a deck out of this, but I think it's going to limit your deck building, right? Um, so I think that there will be more options with other decks, and he's a character that will definitely grow as we see more sets and get more Imperial units. I do like what Banana said, that his action is kind of like, I consider it like a curve corrector, right? If you're trying to hit curve and do a two-drop, round one and then a three drop and then a four drop, but you miss one time, you can spend that extra resource to make a slightly off curve unit a little bit better. Um, is that little bit better going to be equal to like a one cost higher unit? I'm not sure. Um, it might not be. Um, I, I value shield tokens pretty heavily, especially with the games that I've played on felt table and other platforms. Um, I felt like shields are actually pretty strong, but I do agree that it's pretty 
limiting of Luke to have to play them on a unit that you played this round. I do think you'll get a lot more use out of Turkin's ability, but I think his his deck building, I'm really going to have to think long and hard or have like a really pushed card to include non-imperial units unless there's something that like synergizes with experience, um, which I don't know. For me, I like to tinker with decks and like rebuild them over and over again. So that isn't as exciting for me, but I think he'll be, he'll be a strong unit. All right. We're on to two more cards here, right? So we've got Fett's Fire Spray, a unit in space, six cost. Um, I think that's cunning and villainy for the aspects. Five attack, six hit points, underworld vehicle and transport. When played, if you control Boba Fett or Jango Fett as a leader or unit, in parentheses, ready this unit. Action, pay two to exhaust a non-unique unit. We'll go to Josh first again. I love everything about this card. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> now, Ed, um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have anything negative to say about this card. I think it's great all around the one plate effect being able to ready it, right? So it it's this is different than ambush where you have to ready and attacking, right? This just comes in ready. Plus it has the action to exhaust a non-unique unit right away, so you can play it and the action you can use as many times as you want and you don't have to exhaust its fire spray itself to do it. Um so this is like an aggressive push piece in the spacer in it, and at the same time, it has a control piece attached to it. So I like everything this card has going on with it. What do you think, Ben? Uh, so I suppose I'll start with a question. Uh, I've seen people say that this is confirmation that there is indeed a Django Fett in set one. And... Uh, I, I don't know if I'm sure. Like, this could just be future-proofing. So, yes, it would indicate that maybe there's a Django Fett in set one, but I like to think that this is an example of FFG making a good choice and that they're like, hey, it would be cool flavor to put this on here even if there's not a Django in this first set. Uh, with regard to this set, or with regard to this card as a card, uh, if anybody's played uh, Hearthstone or... <laughs> I guess even if you've been around internet culture uh, back in the old man days, you'll be, be kind of familiar with the name Leroy Jenkins. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> in Hearthstone, Leroy Jenkins is a card that you, I think, pay originally five. He, he's been nerfed a number of times, but it's a card that you can play and you can go face for six damage with it immediately. And there's drawbacks on it, but that's not relevant here. The relevant comparison is this is a six cost card that it, like Banana pointed out, it, this is not ambush. This gets to fully ready. And the relevance of that is that it can go face. So this thing can burst for face. And it's tied to having a Boba Fett or a Django. Now you're like, oh, well, I might not be able to draw the card. Your leader. You can set this up so that you have your leader. You put your leader into play. You drop this thing. And then you're crashing into somebody's face on like turn five, turn six for big, relevant chunks of damage. And on top of all of that, if you overpay for two, you've got this little control effect. So this is exactly the kind of curve topper that any kind of low to the ground, hyper aggressive deck wants to see. It lets you come down. It lets you smash space. It lets you get something annoying out of the way. It just 
like Banana said, this is a fantastic card. I have nothing but praise here. I agree. This card is going to be pretty awesome, but I think it's going to mainly be awesome, like you said, if Boba or Django are your leader. I don't know if I would run this unless I had a lot of Boba Fett units in my deck if they weren't my leader, right? Um, I really want that when played to go off. But either way, I think that the when played is super versatile. You can go face with it. You could remove a space unit, and then if you had two extra left over, you could use an action to also exhaust another unit. So you've just like saved your base two sources of damage for the turn. So it can be kind of controlly. It can be kind of aggressive. It seems like a super versatile unit, and uh, I agree. I don't. I don't think this confirms that. Django Fett is in set one. Obviously, from the other half of the screen here, we know Boba Fett is. But I think that this, I, I hope that this is just cute future proofing and that we get more cards like this showing that they're really thinking ahead with their card design because that would be spectacular. I will say All just right. one, one last yep. thing about this is that I am a little, the only thing I'm disappointed by is that it's not called Fett's Fett, right? Um, <laughs> I know MC Chris is quite litigious, though, so that could probably that's probably a good move, staying away from Fett's vet. But I would probably the right thing to do. Now you said it twice, man. Yeah, so you better edit that out later. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that would have been cool, actually. (laughs) Well, next we have Boba Fett, a ground unit, also cunning and villainry. Three attack, five hit points, underworld, and bounty hunter traded. On attack, if this unit is attacking an exhausted unit that didn't enter play this round, deal three damage to the defender. We'll have Mr. Ben go first. Uh, so the the threshold you have to hit is your opponent has to do something with a unit on that turn, and then you get to attack into it. Because you can't just hit somebody who came into play exhausted, which is is a little bit of a drawback. That is a little bit annoying. But as long as you satisfy that condition, we're talking about a three-cost card that functionally attacks for six, which is ridiculous. Uh, The five defense on this card is also kind of ridiculous. It almost guarantees that you're going to get two swings with this guy. So conceivably, this could be an invest three, deal 12 damage over the course of his life. Uh, I mean, that's a little bit unicorn rainbow land, like that is some best case scenario stuff there. But this is, I think if this was a three cost three, three with this power, it would still be a reasonable card. This is a very strong ground unit. What do you think, Banana? This is my favorite card of all time. Of all time. Um, I didn't think you could outdo me with praise, but you did. (laughs) So this is the best art we've seen. It is now my forever Discord profile picture. Um, I just want to point out the on attack that three that deal three damage since uh, based on the attack timing we see in the quick time rules or the quick start rules. On attack happens before your attack damage is dealt. So if you deal three damage to the defender and it KOs them, you are not going to take damage back. So it's kind of like a second hand first strike, um, but if you don't, right, it's kind of like double striking in versus, right, where you get to strike twice. So that is very powerful and relevant in that game. I don't see why it's not going to be very powerful and relevant in this one. Um, yeah, I love everything about these Boba Fett cards. They're the best cards ever. This is the way. 
Totally agree. Uh, this is a legendary card. It says that in the bottom corner. I assume that's what an L is. And um, this is my favorite card that we've revealed today or looked at today. I think the art's great. The effect is great. I was going to say exactly what Banana said. I, I see this as a way to remove a bunch of small units from the board without ever taking damage back. Um, and it's going to force your opponent to swing into it or not be able to play anything small. So if they're if they're hitting curve, it's not going to be as helpful, but you can still do six, like Ben said. If they're going under curve and playing a bunch of weenies, then you're just sniping them as they go. And they're going to have to exhaust them eventually or pass and miss their actions. Um, we've also seen shenanigans and cunning where we have events that can exhaust units. So I think that'll also combo well with Boba Fett. Um, and what I really want to know, I don't know if this is even possible. We've seen units with, what's the keyword that Palpatine has? Overwhelm. When attacking an enemy unit, deal excess damage to the opponent's base. So if you defeat a unit with Boba Fett's trigger, I'm curious if, if you could somehow give him Overwhelm if all the damage would go to a unit's base, because that could be a cool fun win con to like combo off of. But either way, I think this unit's going to be pretty great. Just on that question, if if like, are you asking like if the on attack would defeat a unit? Is that what yeah, you're asking? If an on attack defeats a unit, does your attack still resolve? Right, you have nothing no. to hit, so attack... all the overwhelm goes through. No, it just fizzles. That's mm -hmm. a bummer. Yeah, there goes my hopes and dreams. Thanks, FFG mm -hmm. rules lawyers. So I definitely think I want a T-shirt that says "Secondhand First Strike." <laughs> like th that was very well put, Banana. <laughs> Thanks. We'll we'll put it on the um, we'll put it on some T-shirts on on a merch in a merch store, right? Nice. Get, a, get somebody to draw it up nice in some font. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's all the cards that have come out since the last time we spoke. That's right. So do we want to do the giveaway now, Banana, before we get to our main topic? Sure. So I will share a, a thingy. This okay. is one way to build a community by giving things away. All right. So I'm going to... Spoilers. So I already, already put in like the YouTube video, and I'm going to hit the start raffle and pick winner, and it's going to pick one of our entries. And it'll show up. So, um, okay, I have to do this, I guess. That's so it knows how many malwares to install into your. Why computer. is it not doing it? Why is it not doing it? This is terrible. Because it's live. Because because that's because what it's happens. Because it's live, right? <laughs> of course. Uh, there's the video. Add comments. Filter duplicates. Number one is one. Show random names. Eight. Sorry, the caption entered is wrong. How is eight wrong? I'm pretty sure five plus three is eight. Yeah. Oh, here we go. All right. There it goes. Okay. Way better. Angie Who is our winner. Angie Who? Angie Who. Hey. Oh, Angie Who. All right. So I'm going to tweet this. Am I going to tweet this? I'm going to copy this. Copy link. Share winner. All right, so that's our winner, Angie Hu. Thanks, Angie. Congratulations. So reach out to me, uh, and I'll send you the pair of, or not the pair, but the um, Luke Invader Gen Con promo cards. 
And we'll have another set that we'll give away closer to release. So shout out to the community member. Forget his name off the top of my head that sent those to me to use as giveaways. Very cool. Awesome. Well, we're going to go on to our main topic for today, which is community building in competitive or collectible card games. So what we want to talk about today are basically what are some tips and tricks that we've experienced over the years and how to build a local community and even an online community, right? Over the pandemic, everybody got really comfortable with Discord and webcams like we all did. So there's ways to build communities in all sorts of different ways. Um, so does anybody want to talk? I was thinking first we could go through each of us name a card game that we kind of spearheaded the local community on. And uh, what were some of the lessons learned and some of the things we did to build that community? And then I have a, a list of some questions for you all at the end. If no one wants to go first, I will too. Um, so I will say that um, I haven't... SW Star Wars Unlimited is going to be my first time really building... Um, successfully a local card game community i tried uh with a few former games and it, it didn't take right like i tried with ashes and the stores are like nah we don't want to we don't want to sell a game six months later right when everybody that would want to play the game is already getting their stuff uh through the subscription service and we're selling you know we can't sell the stuff we get um i tried with marvel champions and then you know covid so um but Marvel Champions, right? We, Dan, me and Dan, uh, built a pretty successful Facebook group. Um, and then Dan runs a very successful Marvel Champions Discord that's very large. Um, and now I started the Facebook group for Star Wars Unlimited. Dan helps me moderate. And then the same thing on uh, the Discord for the community Discord. So I'm very more, um, I guess, versed in the online community building than the in-person community building. Let's delve into that. So what are some tips and tricks that you found in building an online community? Because I think some of these things actually resonate with the local communities too. So I think the biggest things are um, be engaged with the community, right? Um, mm -hmm. Be welcoming, be kind to people, right? People don't like jerks. If you're a jerk to people, that's going to off-put people, right? Don't be, um, like, leave your biases at the door, right? Card games and gaming in general is for everyone. Stop gatekeeping people. And don't, um, not everyone wants to play the game the same way you want to play. So you need to be open to those other people and what their vision is for how they want to play the game. Um, so those would be the biggest ones, I think. And another thing that helps is having good, good moderators, um, yeah. And setting rules, I think early that for what, um, you want the community to look like. So the way I look at it is like, I started the group in the discord for Star Wars unlimited, but I don't view them as mine. I view them as the communities and I'm just helping, helping it along. Right. So I think that's another thing like this isn't, you can't view it as you own the thing, just view it as you're a part of it and you're just helping it, um, along, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think the things you said really resonate with local play too, right? The be kind thing and like everybody's coming from a different aspect. There's a reason my wife won't go to 
our local game store and play magic because she went with me once and people were horribly mean. And now she's like, oh, I'm never going to that again. But she will come play Lorcana and she will come play Marvel Champions because we went to those and the people were nice and engaging and communicated respectably with her. So treat people with respect and then they will probably respect you is a big thing for online communities, but also local communities. And uh, again, I think this next tip that I would have that we really did in Marvel Champions is to like lead by example, right? And that's just like a leadership thing in general. That was a Marvel Champions joke for everybody. But um, if you if you lead, lead by example, right? Yeah, lead from the front, right? If, uh, if you're expecting everybody else to follow some rule, then you should follow it too. And uh, don't, you know, pat yourself on the back for following it. Just do it thanklessly, because that's what you're really doing this for is to build a community like Banana said. And if people see you doing that and respect you while you're doing that, they're going to say, hey, I want to I do that just like that person did. And then all of a sudden, everybody's being nice to each other and people are trading cards and exchanging deck ideas. And there's great discourse, which is what we want on like a social media platform for gathering a bunch of nerds around the card game. I say nerds lovingly, not spitefully. Another thing I'll say for the online communities is sometimes it's hard to tell uh, intent from someone's words. You can easily overreact or take things the wrong way just by reading something. You might have misread it. You might have taken the tone another way from what it was meant the tone to be. So it's another thing to keep in mind that you might get offended or worked up about something that was not meant to be offensive. Um, just be mindful of, of that also. Yeah, I've heard that like in the modern era, like written text is like the worst filter for language and communication ever, right? It's so much easier to talk to someone face to face than to text them. But the way the modern world works, everybody just wants to text each other because it's so much easier, right? When's the last time I picked up a phone to call someone with intent that wasn't, you know, an elderly grandparent a long time ago. So uh, it wasn't in a galaxy far, far away. It was here. But yeah, I agree with that comment too, right? Um, and that, that goes with, with local play too, if you have like a little local Facebook group or something like that. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mr. Ben? Do you have any experience? I know you've got a lot of experience leading online communities. Do you have any uh, yes. tips for online community building? I, I, I sort of backed into, like I'm a little uncomfortable with the word spearhead because that implies being first. Uh, and I sort of came into possession. Accidentally of, inherit. Uh, Is that okay? Yeah, a, of an online community. Uh, some numbers, quite a few years ago at this point, uh, but I didn't really spearhead it. Um, but I, I think rather the thing that I would want to do is approach this with a question. Like, what is our goal? Like, why do we want a community? Because as the sort of person who sometimes gets my intent not heard through text and accidentally offends people or, or somebody who, who has a tendency to occasionally say uh, uh, some inappropriate things, I sometimes... Uh, rub, rub people the wrong way. And there is certainly, I, I don't want to say anything in defense of like straight up toxicity or rudeness, but if you approach card games from the attitude of like, hey, I'm here to win, uh, that does sort of take, like, if there's cash on the table, we're not, not necessarily everybody who's sitting down is sitting down to be friends. Uh, but... I think that if you approach people with the attitude that you're my enemy and I have to defeat you with this, that is not a good approach for you or for them. So when I ask the question of like, why do we want a community? I'm kind of applying that to maybe the, the 20 something 
maybe a, a little bit too aggressive spike type player who's there to win. But in order for you to win, you have to have people to play against. So even if you're the hardest of hardcore and you have no patience for kitchen table players, if you want there to be a local scene at all, if you want there to be a place where you can get those promos at your store or try to earn points to climb up to a higher level of competition or earn cash prize or any of that stuff, for any of that stuff to exist, we have to have kitchen table players that are, that are willing to come to our game. And sometimes that means as a, a more highly competitive player, you need to be willing to sit down and slow down and explain the game to somebody as if they don't speak your language. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a like empathetic and understanding way, because in a very real sense, when I start talking about games, like say to my wife, we are not speaking the same language. We're not engaging with the, these forms of art with the same, the eye to the same details, and that's fine. I think the world has plenty of room for these more casual kitchen table or just at the locals type game gamers. And if you want to be a hardcore and a competitive type player, there, I think you should be nice to people because being nice to people is the right thing to do. Let me, let me I should have led with that. Uh, I think kindness is a good thing, wholly speaking. But even if you kind of feel like, oh, I don't really care about the community. I'm just here to collect the wins. I just need to put in the reps. Well, if you want to have people to put the reps in with, that's where you have to build that community piece. So being accepting and supportive of people who come at the game from all sorts of different ways, not just the hardcore competitive. This is very much me just giving a lecture to the really hardcore competitive players. And by hardcore competitive players, I mean me in my 20s. That, that's what I'm doing here. Uh, as someone who made mistakes in community building in, in previous games, that's something I'd like to avoid seeing repeated here. And part of that is like, check your ego, check your toxicity. Like some of what I'm talking about here is just stuff that you kind of come to as you get older. But when you're more interested in building something durable rather than just collecting a win, I think that's gonna be a win for the store. That's gonna be a win for the community. And ultimately that's gonna redound to making you a better player because you're gonna get more different people to see their play style, more different people to learn from. And that's gonna make you better when you go to Gen Con or you go to the world championship. So I think building community is very, very important. Even if you're a little bit antisocial, even if you don't necessarily like people, you need good training partners because steel hones steel. So the way to, and also just, you know, kindness is good. More kindness in the world is good as well. Totally agree. And I think that applies to like an online community, finding people to bounce decks off of and things like that. Not everybody has a local community, right? Some of them only have the online world to communicate with. So it's nice for them to have people to bounce decks and ideas off of. And I think just transitioning to talk about local play, what you just said is really important. Um, and I, I'm going to start this by saying like everybody was a kitchen table player once. Nobody like opened their first pack of magic 25 or 30 years ago and was just like, I rock at this game and I won worlds or something like that. Everybody started by playing with a friend at the table, playing with a friend at the game store, playing with somebody else in the playground or something. Right. Um, so it's nice to remember, you know, like I was a little scrub playing Star Wars CCG back in the day and some people at the store just relentlessly crushed me until it formed me into a person that could win games. But they were always kind about it. And they would always, after the game, you know, give me tips, say, hey, here's a thing you could have done differently that really would have thrown me for a loop, and this is why. 
And you can do that in a condescending way, and you can do that like in a kind way, right? Where you're trying to make that player better. Um, and now that I'm much, much older than I was back then, I've really grown to appreciate how important it is to build a local community. So I can give a couple examples here, right? In, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, if you came here six years ago and said, I wanna play card games at a game store, there were like six card gamers in a city of 600,000 people. It was not very big. Um, but over the past five years, a bunch of card shops have opened, partly due to like the, the Pokemon collector buzz that happened, but partially because people like moved to the city. And now there's like a thriving, really big card game community in our area, right? Um, if I go to a weekly One Piece locals, we're going to get 20 players there. I've been playing in the Lorcana locals, and we had like 32 players one week and like 38 another week. And that's like a crazy number for locals, right? There was a big PPG, like official competitive play tournament. It had 37 people. I was like, my locals was bigger than that last night. Maybe not all the players were on the level of people that are going to travel to Denver, Colorado, but they were all there having fun playing the same game. And by helping those players get better, right? You, you're talking about getting repetitions in and learning how to do wins. You can play a thousand games against a bad player and you don't get any better. But if you play a thousand games against a really good player and you start like figuring out what a good players do or players at my skill level, that's when you really start to improve your skills, improve your deck building and improve your gameplay. And by bringing everybody in your local community up to the level that you're at or that the level the highest player is at, all of a sudden, like everybody in your community becomes a lot better. Um, so our, my example would be our One Piece community. It was pretty small when it started out. It was like six of us and now we're up to about 20 players. And everybody's really good, right? I could go on any week and they do like a three round tournament on Tuesdays. So I'm skipping it right now. Tell no one. Um, but they, they, on any given week, any player could win. And I mean that not because like the game is super random, but we've gotten everybody to really good skill levels. People have traded cards because they've been friendly with each other to everybody's gotten to build a deck that they're comfortable with. And that makes everybody better. So they travel to different regionals and things like that. And people will go as a, like a, a quote unquote team. Um, in reality, it's just a bunch of friends that have played together now for almost a year. And we've all fine tuned our decks together and practiced against each other. So we'll travel together to a tournament and celebrate each other's success. And that's when it's like super fun, right? Somebody opens a pack and it's got some card they really wanted and everybody's excited. Somebody that hasn't won the weekly tournament in like a couple weeks or a couple months finally wins it again and everybody gets super excited for them. It's like the, the perfect, like positive community, even though you'd expect in a competitive game for people to be super cutthroat and try to like really burn people down. Um, and I'm seeing that happen um, in our Lorcana community, even though it's only two or three weeks in right now too. It's some, some of it's because it's some of the same players and they all have the same attitude, but I'm seeing a lot of people help newer players out. A lot of people say, hey, want to do a practice game before the tournament starts and I can show you how some of like the, especially if there's like a new player that came, how to, how to like navigate your deck and things like that. And it's really helped grow the community. Um, so I think, I think my, my main thing is be kind. My second main thing is let, basically what Ben said, like check your ego at the door. Remember that even if you're the best player walking into that store, that doesn't make this good practice for you. What makes a good practice is if everybody else is just as good as you and you're still learning how to win, then you're becoming like a masterful player. Um, and those are like the main things that I try to do in community building. For local play, I think it's also important for someone that's not 
affiliated with a local store to sort of rally the community. So if you were to like go on Facebook and search for the 505 One Piece TCG, 505 is like the area code for or the yeah the area code for Albuquerque. Um, so we try to like get all the local players in a Facebook group so we can tell each other when stock is in at a certain store and if some new store is going to host like an event or if like a coffee shop is going to host us for a night. It's a nice way to like communicate. And then when a new player comes in, you can invite them to this Facebook group that has a bunch of us being nice to each other in it. And all of a sudden they want to be involved too. So we started the exact same like copy of a group for Disney Lorcana and people are telling each other when they see things in stock. Whereas if you go to like the global Facebook group, you just see people buying like massive piles of 10 booster boxes here. Like I'll get a text from 10 people being like, Hey, there was stuff at target. I left like this many packs, go see if you can get them. And I'm like, Whoa, this is, this is not what reality is in the global Facebook group, but it's really nice that it's in our local one. Um, so there's lots of things you can do with social media, even for your local group. And it makes it easier for players to find your group, right? If they can search Disney or Lorcana, Albuquerque, organized play, and like a group shows up that has 40 people chatting about it, they're going to be really excited to be involved in that group. Um, so that's my, my story on local play with two recent card games. I had one other topic to bring up, and that's if you're a game shop owner or if you are a game shop like employee, and you're in charge of organizing play for this game. Does anybody have any successful tips or tricks you've seen your local shops do to help um, create longevity in a in a TCG CCG that's not you know a big three? I'll give I'll give what our store does first. Just we'll see if you all like this. So there's there's a new store in Albuquerque. It's new. It's like three years old, but they are like amazingly customer oriented and it has made all these local metas re really easy to form right it's a it's amazing that there's a card game shop that you can walk into at any night and there's like 80 people playing four different card games in it i mean 80 total across four card games but that's still pretty cool right and it's not the same people every day it rotates through um so they like for lorcana right now they have like three nights a week that you can play lorcana they have some sort of like draft or sealed play. That way people that are building their collection can still buy product without like all of it being sold out instantly. It's like reserved for that, uh, that sealed play so that people are learning to play the cards as they're playing them. They have a casual and trade night. Um, so that's on Wednesday. I haven't gone to that one because I'm a scum, scummy competitive player. Um, it's on like Wednesday nights, I believe. And, uh, at that night, you're encouraged to play like fun decks. You're encouraged to teach new players. And then they have a competitive tournament on Saturdays. Um, so on a competitive tournament, they say, everybody bring your best deck. It's like, I think it's the cost of a pack to get in. And at the end, everybody gets a pack because they're wanting to help grow everybody's collection. Um, but they're saying, let's all like fine tune our decks and do the best thing. So they've kind of got a night geared towards each player, people that have their collection mostly built people that like just want to have fun and play kitchen table and people that want to, you know, build their collection in draft. And uh, the way they're doing Lorcana and they do this for all their games is they run like a league and they reserve some product right away to give to players at the end of like a three month season. So they're doing a three month season of Lorcana. If you show up on a Monday, a Wednesday or a Saturday, you get three points for showing up in the competitive tournament. You get one point for each win. Um, on the casual day, you get two bonus points if you bring a friend and teach them how to play the game. So if you bring someone that's never been to the store before or not played that before, 
it's like a good way of building uh, things like that. And uh, in draft, if you open like a super rare card or something like that, I don't know what the legendary, the, the, the rarities are, but if you open something super cool in draft, you like get some bonus points. So it encourages you to come back on multiple days and encourages you to bring new people to teach new people the game in the store so that they start building this like weekly meta and community. And it's really taken off, right? It's three weeks in and every week it's gotten bigger. There hasn't been more product every week. There's been less product available for people to buy. So you'd think it would be the opposite, right? But I think as more people get it and as more people start having fun, it's really started growing. The other thing this store does is they, they do sell singles, right? So they broke some of their own boxes and they have singles in store so you can complete the deck you're trying to build. But with all their commons and uncommons, they have a couple of the community members, they ask them to make like starter decks. And they're not like perfect starter decks, but we've taken their common and uncommon bulk for Lorcana and made like little 40 card play sets where it's like, here's the start of a deck. If you want to come in and learn how to play, if you bought two booster packs and added it to this 40 card deck, you'd have a you'd have a reasonable deck that's not horrible. And it only costs like five bucks to make. So they, they have us do that with all their bulk. But if you're a player that's like trusted and has been there for a long time, they'll let you build a starter deck out of your bulk. They'll buy it from you for, I think they charge you, they pay you like $5 of store credit to buy it from you. And then they sell it for $5 to like a new player. So it's it's net zero for the store. Um, but for the community, it's huge because it's like giving new players a thing to buy that's going to get them into the game with a viable, maybe not super competitive, but reasonably competitive deck right away. Um, and we've done that for Lorcana. We've done it for One Piece. We did it for Digimon when that came out, even though it was during the pandemic. So everybody had to play over webcam. Um, and it worked great. So I, I've never seen a store so engaged with building communities. But I think because they focus on that so much, it's been really magic. So. That was a long lecture. I'm going to let someone else talk now. I definitely don't think you can rely on a store being proactive. No. Uh, like, they will order the OP kit, and sometimes they won't even run the tournament software for you. Uh, so if you want to have a community at your, at your local store, whether you're an employer or not, you may find yourself uh, drafted into duty and I think the best piece of advice I have for somebody who inadvertently becomes a TO or inadvertently gets put in charge of running the clock or the tournament software is like, just chill, like take a deep breath, give yourself permission to make a mistake or two, like, and don't try to act like you know things you don't know. If this is your first night running the software, don't try to act to all the players like you have everything under control. Because when you make a mistake, now you're going to look like, just say, hey, guys, this is my first night. Just bear with me. We're going to get through this together. Uh, and acknowledging the awkwardness or, hey, sorry, there was a delay or, or whatever the issue is, just name it and push through it. And that's probably the best advice I can give somebody as you're trying to become a community organizer around one of these games is accept that it's not going to feel great all the time going to be awkward it's going to be hard but as long as you keep moving forward uh i mean i'm from iowa so the old if they build it if you build it they will come uh it, but it's very true like i uh was doing a, uh, an interview for the build phase a uh, month or two ago and one of the guys was talking about building a local scene for versus and the thing that he said that really stuck with me uh was that his goal was to create a scene that was active enough that if i don't show up the event still happens. 
And I think that's kind of my goal when it comes to building a local community. Like I really like being a part of it. I'm willing to do a lot of the work because I think it's really valuable, uh, both for others, but, and for myself as well. But at the end of the day, I wanted to be able to reach the point where it can survive, where I don't have to carry it on my back. Uh, and that's probably smart because as fun as it is, if it's relying on one person, eventually that person's like, it, that's not, that's not a recipe for long-term success. Single point failures are bad. Um, and with what you just said, I would even say don't, if, if you're really excited about having a community in a local scene, don't even wait to be voluntold to run the tournament software. Like talk to your store beforehand and say, hey, I'm going to learn the tournament software. Do you mind if I like help you run your tournaments? And uh, it'll go a long Most way. Most stores love volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. They will be very excited to not just tell you that, hey, you're now volunteered to do this, but to actually have you say, I'm going to do this. They're probably not going to stop you. Um, I will say for, for locals, some players might come into the store and not want to be competitive, at least at first, right? They might want to just stick to the casual. There's a lot of people that just love that sealed draft experience. Um, so I'd say if you're a competitive player and you're playing against those people, maybe keep your, you know, your spike deck in the, in the, in the box and maybe have like a more fun casual deck uh, to play with those people that are just, you know, playing like the father, son, they go out there just for something to do together or the mother, daughter, whatever it is. Um, you don't want to push those people away because you're trying to win every game, you know? So I'd, I'd be mindful of that too. I would say um, I've seen that happen where the person just wanted to win it all, all the time. And it really, pushed people out of the community. Um, so just be mindful of that. The um, I really love the idea of like a sealed starter league where like everyone starts with a starter deck and then like every week you buy a couple packs for it and then you can add cards to it and you build from there. I keep going. I think some sort of league idea I think is really, really smart. Give the reason the players a reason to to come back. Give them something to, to play for, and, and like you said, it, it can apply to to all the players, the competitive players, the casual players. Um, there's something for everyone in one of those league deals. I would say that um, I don't think I have any store in the area that that sounds like uh, your store, Dan. So I think you're very lucky uh, with, with with what I'm... you have there. So. Um, they do not pay me to say all this. I'm not even going to say their name. So good so, luck. It sounds there. fictional. But, um, yeah. You should all come visit. I'm sure they will play Star Wars Unlimited when it comes out. In fact, we've already talked about it. So but I'll it's say, like paying three for Boba Fett and getting the full twelve damage. It's, yeah. not, it's all fantasy. <laughs> they are a secondhand first strike store. <laughs> yeah. Approved. That's our seal of approval. Secondhand first strike store. Seal of approval. Um, be proactive out if you're interested in this game be talking to your stores now get the get the interest going now with the store have them let them know you're interested in in hosting and helping run and, and helping let you know let them know you're ready to be available to build a community and that you just you know their store is just a place you guys all meet and they'll sell a lot of product in the meantime you want to know something really nerdy we did for the one piece community building we uh, all wore straw hats. 
well, that too, right? We're, we're all king of the pirates at the same time somehow. Um, we, we found one of those websites where you can print, like you get like a, a demo set of like a hundred business cards for free. And we made a business card for like our Facebook group. And we even went to like mass marketplaces like Target, right? And I like just talked to like one of the entry level workers at the front of Target. And I'm like, hey, can I tape one of these to each of your one piece starter decks? And they're like, oh, sure, that's fine with us. So like we put advertisements out for like finding our local meta like in random stores. And you'd be surprised that like Target and Barnes and Noble and places like that, they don't even care. They're just like, sure, yeah, as long as it sells, it doesn't bother us. So we've picked up random people that like will join the Facebook group that are like, yeah, I bought this at Target and I saw your little business card on it. And we were like, yeah, you should come to the store on Tuesday. And then uh, all of a sudden they become group members. So it's it That's seemed cool. really stupid at the time, but I was like 100 free business cards. We could try it. And uh, I think we've gotten like four of our 20 people that way. So that feels pretty good. Hey, that's, you know, like 25%. Thank you, Vistaprints.com or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> uh, I'd also add that like culture is really important. I think this is maybe, I mean, it's important both in person and online, but I feel like it can spin out of control and get a lot worse online. Uh and it's, it's kind of important to like set that tone. Uh, you know, if you're the TO and somebody comes in and is acting foolish, you don't have to cause a confrontation with that person, but there's a million ways that you can send the message, hey, that kind of language isn't acceptable here. Hey, we don't talk to our competitors that way here. Um, I'm, in my head, I'm thinking about all the, the ways I talked about sportsmanship to the kids uh, at the chess club that I used to run at my kids' elementary school. Uh, but it's it's kind of the same principle when you're starting, especially a competitive environment. It, and sometimes people are going to lose their temper. Sometimes people are going to say things that are a little bit rude. But having sort of the the culture in place where it's like, okay, you're not you're not frozen out of the community because you got up in your feelings one time, but you are expected to come back and sort of own that and apologize and treat other people with respect. And it it can be scary, but if you don't have that kind of culture of kindness, you end up with a, a much worse situation, in my opinion, relatively quickly. It, it seems like as soon as you have a play environment where people are allowed to be verbally abusive, the kinds of players who want to treat other players that way come crawl. They, they, I don't, it's like a bat signal for them. They, they're able to detect the stores where that kind of behavior is tolerated. And I think for the most part, most people don't want to play in those kinds of environments. So volunteering to be there for your store. And again, nobody should have to put themselves in a situation where they feel uncomfortable. But I think just being somebody who kind of like gives the guy the weird look when he says the rude comment, like even that can go a long way to letting somebody know, hey, when we play Star Wars Unlimited in this store, we don't talk to each other that way. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much of this is just like advice I would give for parenting. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to jump ahead, but we do have uh, some listener questions that are related to community was, building. Um, let's go. Yeah, for I'm it. ready to move. If you wanted to, you know, we'll start with those. Um, do you want to read them off to us? I don't know which. There's a there's a bunch of them here, so we got a lot of questions. Yeah, um, I'm going to start with. Um, so this one's from Citizens of Lorcana uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter. They said, what would you recommend 
someone do right now while waiting for the game to release that wants to make sure they have a solid local scene when the game actually releases? I think we someone, contact your store. Yeah, we whatever someone, the store is that you want to build a community at, contact that store owner, make sure that they're receptive to the idea. Uh, and that's probably you, depending upon the store, you could like go the extra mile of like personally creating replicas of like the Gen Con demo decks and trying to offer a demo day. Uh, but that's, I think we might be a little far out from the release date for that level. Uh, but really, I think at this point you should be in relationship building with the store owner, with who the tournament guy is at that store. Uh, I would be in the store talking to them about how you're excited for this, both to get them to order the product for you, but also so that they're hyped about it. And when it comes tournament time, they're they're already on board. They know it's coming and they're excited for it. Yeah, talk to your store, see if they can make a pre-order list, right? I mean, not even a pre-order list yet because we don't even know what prices are, but like an interest list, right? If they have a mailing list that says, or an email or a text list that says, Here's 50 people that were interested in this thing we had a flyer at for the counter for a couple months. They're going to have like a really good idea of how much product they should order. Because the worst thing that can happen is your store either way orders or way unders product, under orders product. Mm -hmm. um, and that'll, that'll really hurt things. And I, I do think we're a little far away from making replicas of the Gen Con demo decks. But like for, for Lorcana, they had demo decks for game stores at some game store convention. It may have been Gamma or something like that this spring. And uh, they they gave proxy files to our store. So they printed two demo decks and they ran like a Lorcana learn to play with these demo decks every Thursday for like 14 weeks before release. And it got people super hyped because they got to play a card. Yeah, it was a piece of computer paper that was put into a sleeve with a magic card, but they learned how to play it. And uh, most store owners, if it's like a card game store, right, they play card games too. Like they became a store owner because they probably liked card games at one point. So if you do need to do some convincing to them, it doesn't hurt to build a demo deck and show them how fun the game is. Because if they're as hooked as you, then they're going to want to stock it. I guess the, the cool thing about doing like a Lorcana, Lorcana learn to play event is you're also learning how to play Rush of Icor. So it's like a two for one. Yeah. Um, I also had an upper deck joke. You just beat me to it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I will say another the thing you can do. Like that. Another thing you can do for your your local scene is like uh, see if you there's a local Facebook group for the store or the community. You know, look for a local Facebook group or some way you can help build online um, to try to draw that interest you know, and get those people talking to the store as well. Or start one. Or start one. If there isn't. Mm -hmm. Okay, what was so your update? I started one for the Lorcana for the whole state of Iowa. And it's like, cool. I joined it, and now I'm seeing events like six hours away. Like, oh, wait. <laughs> but, I, I mean, anything is better than nothing. Like, if you want to have a vibrant community uh, to play the game, it, now's the time to get that infrastructure in place. And I, again, uh, the most important piece is finding where are you going to play? What was your upper deck joke? <laughs> oh, I was going to mention that upper deck also noticed the uh, demo decks that came out at Gamma. Oh, that's, <laughs> um, 
Next question we have is from Virgin Games on Twitter. Uh, they said, not everyone is outgoing or comfortable organizing things like locals or weeklies. So how can individual players support Star Wars Unlimited? Uh, flyers. Somebody who can make a cool-looking graphic that says locals are at this time on these nights and putting that on the Facebook, the TikToks, the other apps that the young people use, uh, making a poster that you can hang in the store. Like uh, when I run tournaments online, say for versus, it's actually a three-man team. Uh, I do most of the like forward-facing stuff, dealing with people, talking to people, but I'm, my friend Joe does pretty much all of the organization uh, as far as the administration stuff. So if you don't want to talk to people, being the guy who plugs all the names into challenge or organizes the mailing list and shoots out. There's a lot of things you can do that doesn't involve saying a single thing out loud to a stranger. Not everybody's a social butterfly. It's true, but there's a lot of like unsung work. Like you just mentioned making flyers. You can even make like prize support. We had a person for one piece, take the, what we all considered to be like the worst card from the first set, the coaster card. And he like made coasters out of it. So for the first eight weeks we could like, give a coaster away. And I've never heard this person like say a word, not like during a game because they're so non-social, but they contributed something awesome that like made everybody want to come to the local community. And if you're more comfortable talking via a computer screen, which a lot of us are, myself included, um, then be a part of that local Facebook group. You don't even have to organize anything, but like in our Lorcana Facebook group, I'm not the organizer of it, but like every Wednesday, I just like pick a random deck from one of the DBs for that. And I'm like, hey, here's a cool deck I found. Let's all talk about it. And uh, I mean, it, you don't even have to say anything after that. You could just read what other people said, but all of a sudden you've contributed to your, your local community's success. Make memes. Memes, memes, memes go a long way. That's yeah. true. Printed memes, if you bring them to me at a tournament, are worth extra points. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really important to me. I have a cosign on the second half of what he just said. <laughs> All right. I'm like Tony Stark. Don't hand me papers. <laughs> I will save and cherish them forever. Um, next one up is from SwooDB on Twitter. Uh, SWDB, uh, Citizen Keen on the discords. Um, what lessons can the SWU community learn from Lorcana? about getting new people into the hobby and being welcome to them, welcoming to them when they show up. Have your company print enough product? Is that a thing we can say? That's number one. I mean, <laughs> having that guy right there as one of the mods in the Facebook group is the big Lorcana. <sighs> I don't want to crap on anybody. Being a mod. I do that. That's Facebook my name. Group is I'm sure very difficult. Um, but there are Facebook groups that I'm a part of and I enjoy what I read in them. And the Star Wars Unlimited group happens to be one of those where I really enjoy seeing the content. And I think a lot of that credit goes to the moderating team. Uh, and there's some other Facebook groups that have different moderating teams where things maybe aren't as, uh, my time spent there is not as enjoyable. So I think that's that's a big part of it. Um, one thing that at least our local community did for Lorcana that worked out really well is we made beginner friendly, like popper deck lists for like our little 
Facebook group for 505 Lorcana something, something, somethings. And uh, we have those pinned at the top. And it's like, here's a deck you can make out of commons and uncommons. If you went to TCG player, you could buy these 60 cards for $10 and you'd have fun. It's mm. not going to use, you know, the $500 Elsa card or whatever it is, but you can make a fun deck. And it's really easy for new people to get into a game when they say, oh, I don't even have to think about the deck building yet. Somebody just made a deck for me and it, like I could go buy it online if I wanted, or after I open some packs, I could see how many spots I'm missing to fill in. Um, so having like new player friendly content um, really helps people be welcoming. Um, I think that's really important. And then again, talking to your store early, your, your store needs to be your ally and not your enemy if you want to build a welcoming community. And if you go in with the mindset that the store is going to be this person that doesn't have enough stock and up, up marks things because we didn't communicate early enough or whatever the reason is, then all of a sudden it just becomes miserable. I like the, uh, the like common and uncommon decks. That's something you do a lot. I've, I've noticed in all the games like you, that's something you enjoy mm -hmm. doing. Um, that's cool. I really like the being cheap. I'm planning on, this is just me personally, I'm planning on, um, I'm planning on buying as many boxes as I need to get a full playset of Star Wars Unlimited, and then a bunch of extra commons and uncommons I'm either going to donate uh, to the store to give out to new players, or do what Dan's suggesting and make common uncommon decks, and the same thing, I would donate them to the store to give to players interested in the game um, to try to help grow that community. So I think Dan touched on it initially, but some of the biggest lessons that can be taken from Lorcana are not lessons that we as players or community builders uh, can really do anything with. It's going to be stuff like having adequate products when the thing ships, properly communicating uh, product allocation numbers to the stores with time to... Uh, actually do something with that information. So there's a lot of things that FFG, a lot of lessons that I hope they learn from Lorcana. I don't want to have this sit here and turn into just listing off all of the, the problems with Lorcana's launch. But I, I think I said earlier today that if FFG gets the SWU release 70% right, they're going to blow Lorcana out of the water. Uh, and I think that's probably pretty accurate. There was a lot of trouble with the Lorcana release I don't necessarily need to point fingers in any particular direction. Just if you've been paying attention, you've seen it. So I hope FFG has been paying attention uh, to and learning those lessons as they get closer to the release for Star Wars Unlimited. And then as far as us as players, we kind of touched on that. And it's not just Lorcana, like if we Lorcana, whatever you say. I don't know how to say it. Um, right? there's, I don't there's been a series of several... TCGs in a row or card games or some card game, like in the last 10 years, a card games come out every year that has like failed miserably at that first launch. Right. And to me, it dates back to dice masters. When dice masters came out by WizKids, they horribly underprinted that first set. They thought it was going to be a board game. They weren't even planning expansions. That's what they said in interviews. And like each game store got like one gravity feed one person bought it and people just like ran to targets and everywhere to try to find content for six months. And because of it, the store said, this product's really hot. We got to buy a lot of wave two. And they made like a second set that was lower in power. It was lower in quality. 
and they massively overprinted it. And like, if I go to card game stores around here, they still have copies of the second set of Dice Masters on their shelves, like eight years later, because it was so overprinted that now they can't even give it away. Um, and very similar things happened with Star Wars Destiny. Very similar things happened with Digimon. Very similar things are now just starting to finally get over that like product is scarce period in one piece. Um, so it's like a really tricky needle to thread. So it can become catastrophic in ways that we've seen recently. Um, and there's ways that it's survivable, right? Destiny survived that for a long time, unlike tanking themselves really early like Dice Masters or some other games did. Um, but really making sure that your store orders as much as they can as, and as much as they're going to sell so that it doesn't sit too long is really important. Anyway. That was, that was question three, right? Yep. Um, next up, we have uh, Fab Enthusiast, uh, Flesh and Blood Enthusiast. Do you think... Talk about another game that had a period of sh total scarcity when it first came out. Yeah, there's Blood another one. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Do you think Agreed. in future sets we will see non-targetable permanents akin to Destiny supports and or plots, or will units events be the only playable card types. Ben? Yeah, I mean, some kind of non-targetable thing that you could play out to the board feels like real low-hanging fruit as far as design space. Um, like a, a shield generator that you can't hit it with event damage, but maybe somebody has to go up. Oh, that'd be like Hoth, where they had to like get close enough that they could physically engage it with a unit before mm -hmm. they could destroy it. And then it was like, sure, yeah, I think that's inevitable almost yeah i think they'll have other card types eventually i mean we already have upgrades right so i'm sure there will be more eventually that just seems inevitable i can't think of many card games i've played where they haven't eventually added some sort of card type um, right mm -hmm. i think they all do at some point because they they flex a little bit you know so yep um another one from fab enthusiast do you think SWU will have a sideboard or do you think FFG's considered decision of a minimum deck size of 50 with no max their answer? So I don't think having a unlimited maximum deck size is your answer for sideboarding because you're going to so dilute your deck that kind of defeats the purpose of sideboarding. Um, I do think if this is a best of three uh, constructed format game that we probably will see sideboards. Um, if it's a best of one, then I don't think you'll see sideboards. But I, I think they're not going to have sideboards. And I think it still might be best of three. I think sideboards are just not very like inclusive to kitchen table and casual gamers, right? When you, play a game and maybe you beat your opponent in that first round and then they spend five minutes sideboarding and dink, dinking around with their deck. Nothing's more like unengaging than that. So I think if, if they really want to be like unlimited in the reach of people, they like rope in, they probably won't have sideboards. And I don't think that the minimum deck size, like I don't think it dilutes your deck too much to include too many extra cards, but some people take it a little bit far and go crazy. I think that gotta thin it to win it, man. You gotta thin it to win it. You know, I'm 
I'm counteracting my strong stance in the little Arcana community where there's people that have a deck size that's like 72 cards and they're like, this is the ultimate deck. And uh, then they lost at a big tournament because they couldn't find their solutions. So I laughed at them. But I think going to 51 cards or 52 cards to include a silver bullet for your weakness isn't that big of a deal. But going to 60 to like include your sideboard in your deck is taking it too far. But I don't think we're going to need sideboards. That's my gut. I have had kind of a, a complicated relationship with sideboards over my years as a card game player. I, when I was younger, I loved it. Uh, I, I really, the, the idea of being able to sort of tech out your deck mid-match, like I liked the skill testing nature of it. Uh, but then I got into verses and there's no sideboarding. And I got really used to like, no, you just have to bring your best 60. And I, I think there's value in that too. So when I went, like when Arjun Saga came out and I, went back to that and they had sideboarding. I was like, well, I don't know. Now I've kind of, I've kind of gone the other way. So I can see the value of the argument in both directions as a TO. I don't want sideboards. I don't want to have to factor that time into my tournament organization. I don't want to have to factor all the extra deck checks and like mental overhead that that requires because I, I, I know one instance in Arjun Saga, a guy swapped in a card but he was only allowed to play it if he had this other type of card that he didn't swap in and it grant. So there's just, there's so many more headaches. I could see sideboards being there. I'm not like a hater, but it, it, for my locals, if I have to run it, I would much prefer that they don't have them. And I think that makes the event much more accessible to everybody. If you're that good, bring your best 60. What do you think? about like um because so ffg has two tiers of organized play that they've laid out in competitive and casual what if it's like hey casual events no sideboard no best of three and then competitive events right like their bigger events are like all right best of three sideboards what do you think about that i still don't like it right i think that it makes it really hard to transition a newer player from casual style play to competitive play and those competitive events can be like incredibly long, right? Like I played in the Gen Con One Piece tournament. It was like 11 hours long. If we had sideboards and best of three in that, it would have been like a three-day tournament instead of a one-day tournament because people take so long and you need all that extra time like we talked about. Um, so I think that, I don't know, I'm not a, I wouldn't be upset if there were sideboards, but if I had to pick, I would say, let's not have sideboards. Bring your best 50 or 60. It would have been a three-piece tournament instead of a one-piece. Would have been a three-piece tournament instead and of a one-piece tournament. Yeah. I I will concede that basing even part of my reluctance to cosign sideboards on the amount of time it takes for the event to run does kind of suck. Like that does feel bad to be like, oh, we're not going to play the game this way, not because it's a, a not the better way to play or, or less, but because the logistics of making the event work like that doesn't that's not the most satisfying answer but like at the end of the day you only have the event space for however long you have it i don't think anybody was like 13 hour days for card games no you know it, and sideboards they can grind things really badly to especially when you get into like control mirrors where you're talking about well i'm not gonna keep rambling about it sometimes they're cool but i don't think we're gonna see them here and I, i'm okay with that all right, moving on. Next one's from Jedi Geek Girl. 
She asks, what is a leader you think we will get in Spark of Rebellion that has not been revealed yet that you would su- that would surprise people most as they are not expected in Spark of Rebellion? So a leader that you think we will get that hasn't been revealed that will surprise people. So, Dan, I'll let you are, answer. Are you going to say first. it? Are you going to say it? Max Rebo? No. I was going um, to set I'm, him up. I'm going to say R2-D2. I think we're going to get the core, the core heroes, and I think people aren't expecting our little droid companion friends, even though R2's been obviously the star of every Star Wars movie. Um, I think we're going to get an R2-D2 leader, and I will main the heck out of R2-D2. Mr. Ben? Uh, I am going to violate the spirit of the question, and I'm going to say I don't think there's going to be any surprises. I think Spark of Rebellion is going to be all super predictable, super obvious leader choices. It's going to be marquee characters from top to bottom. Uh, and every single one of them, you're going to look at it and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I apologize that this sort of breaks the spirit of protection, okay. but that's where I'm at. Um, I think with the success of the Fallen Order and Survivor video games that... Cal Kestis hero, heroism, whatever leader, aggression maybe, could be very much on the table. Right? We've seen, I don't know, because that's kind of that same like beginning, right? That's kind of in between the Galactic Civil War and like the fall of the Republic, right? So there's some leeway there. Um, but like, so it was like, you know, solo, and we've seen some like artwork from solo and stuff. So I could see like a video game character making it, which who better than Cal Kestis. So that's going to be my vote. Um, all right. This one is from red wolf on discord. Talk about multiplayer. So not a question, more of a demand and your thoughts on the environment for star Wars unlimited. So what do you think multiplayer is going to look like? I can't wait. I love multiplayer. We've, we've had way more fun in Lorcana playing 2v2 and three-player free-for-all than we have in 1v1. You know, that's how the game was intended to be played. Um, and I have a feeling that at our kitchen table, we're going to feel the same way with Star Wars Unlimited. Um, what I really, if I had, could have a dream and have it be reality, what I would do is have a 2v2 format where you have separate ground arenas, but a shared space arena between the two players. And when someone attacks in space, they can attack either player's base. When you attack in ground, you could attack only the player like sitting across from you. So you have this like allied region and you need to sort of deck build and think about how you're gonna capitalize on that. Um, And my only requirement would be no player elimination. Like you need to blow up both bases or the player doesn't get removed from the game because player elimination and multiplayer Big thumbs down. So um, that's my dream. Sounds fun. Ben, multiplayer in Star Wars Unlimited. Yeah, I don't know where the idea originally came from, but I think, Banana, you were the first person I heard talk about what Dan just described with the shared space lane. Uh, I totally agree. That sounds awesome. I totally agree. Player elimination sucks. Uh, yeah. I have nothing to add, I guess. I like that idea. I like the, the 2v2, the three-player free-for-all. So, like, the 
I'm a real big fan of the one versus many type uh, multiplayer mm-hmm. format where you have like the boss battle, right? So Final Fantasy TCG, I name drop a lot. So I think they get a lot of things right um, with their boss decks. And then uh, versus added the boss battle cards that pretty much buff a uh, main character into being this big behemoth of a thing that, you know, two or three people it's going to take to take down. So um, for me, I like the one first many. I think that'd be cool. They could release, they don't even have to release like a product. They could release like a print and play thing on their website on like, Hey, use this when playing as Darth Vader against three other people. And it just makes him this, you know, big boss. Like monster. a rule sheet. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Some type it of rule sheet, where, Vader, you know, where it's, he's like buffed health or deploy, you know, whatever they do to tinker with it, to make it like, instead of the little cards, you know, to get like in verses that make Ultron awesome. In boss battle, just you know, have like a PDF. They can do the same thing with that way. People don't have to buy something, but you can still get that experience. I think that would be cool. And FFG has done print and play stuff before, um, so like the whole Ronin modular set in Marvel Champions was just still probably That's the like, only one I could think of. Yeah, still probably one of the they best. Did several ones. Arkham ones too. So. Yeah, they did Arkham ones. They did a whole print and play character domino for that mutant insurrection, uh, which was like that elder sign re yep. reskin. They did print and play characters for that. So, I mean, I don't know now that COVID's kind of the lockdowns are over. Um, I don't know if that's something they would do continue to do, but I like the, just the idea of a one versus many. I think there's a lot of ways you could, you can make it work with the characters we have in the game and with the leader mechanic. Um, that'd be pretty terrifying. You know, you have this Vader sitting back there and all of a sudden when he gets like whatever resources it takes for boss battle Vader, he becomes this surrounded by fear and dead men Vader, you know? Um, but yeah. All right. We'll move on. Next one from Xenus paradox. Why are you so attractive, intelligent, and talented? That's the question. So, well, that wasn't for me, so... I'll, I think that I'll was pass. for Ben, specifically. <laughs> um, I mean, I accept uh, all of these correct observations. Yeah. The, hard work. That, that's how we ended up here. Hard work. Kindness. Kindness. Kindness, yes. Yeah, there you go. Be awesome to each other. That's, that's it. Um, next up, we have Inception. Um... What's your early bird prediction on how many meta decks will actually focus on the space arena? So how many meta decks in set one will be space decks? I think it depends on your definition of meta. If meta is Kennedy Hawk's jank drawer, which it is for me, then there'll be many because I like spaceships. Um, But I think think there'll be two. This is my guess. There's going to be two. One's going to be sort of a, I'm guessing most decks are going to have to keep Space Arena honest. You can't just like completely leave it open. Um, and there'll be one that leans a little bit more heavily into space. But I definitely think there's going to be a meme deck that's just like 40 space units and a bunch of removal events to like keep the ground in check. And they're just going to try to monopolize on the meta being mostly focused on the value of stronger ground arena units. Um, I don't know if it'll be competitive, but it'll be funny when you play against it and you're not ready, because it will be. Ben, what do you think? I I largely agree. 
I, I think we're going to end up with like, what are the best, most efficient space units? Uh, what colors do they fall into? And then group them together with removal, uh, assuming like cunning aggression. I could see going that way with the way those cards kits seem to be looking with events and just pack the space. So I think there's probably going to be like one deck that could f be meta that's going to be super space focused. I, I just don't think the card pool's big enough yet. I, that's my guess. Um, I'm going to say zero. I think every good deck needs some sort of space presence, but I don't think, I don't think any, if we want to say top tier decks will lean super heavy into space because I think the, the events we've seen, a lot of them say like non-vehicle unit or not non-vehicle, like non-leader unit as like their target, right? And then mm -hmm. a bunch of like this stuff like Vader's two damage that he can do on his own attack can go anywhere. And just a, a lot of the effects that we've seen can cross arenas. So I think you have some way to stabilize the space, but I think you definitely need some sort of presence in the space arena or you have to have some answers for the space arena or you're going to lose, I think, but I don't think there's going to be like this one deck that is hyper-focused on space because you're just going to lose faster. If you're too heavy into space, you're just going to lose faster to ground because those units are more efficient for their cost. That's what yeah, I, think. I could see a deck being like efficient space units and sentinels in the ground, right? Just slow them down like put big chunky bodies in the way, but I think it's going to be tough to grind out wins still, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It's all speculation. Um, next up from Pierce at the university of Radlands. How do you feel distribution slash availability for this first set goes? Will there be shortages like destiny or Keyforge, or I'm going to throw in Lorcana? at release, or will there be enough to go around since they have stated playing the game comes before collecting, or something like that? Um, yeah. So how do you feel distribution is going to go for set one? It's a dartboard, honestly. I think it's it's the hardest thing for a game company to do to figure out how to thread that needle. And every game company thinks they like have the magical mathematical formula that's perfectly going to make distribution go great. They're going to stealthily hold product back so they have a second wave or they're going to engage with local game stores first and then big box stores. And every time it happens, like the public proves that they don't have the magic formula yet. So it, it'll be great if there's enough product for everybody, but not enough, uh, but enough product that stores don't get stuck with stuff forever. That's what I would like in magical Christmas land. But like it's to me, it's really throwing darts at a board. I'd like to say, this is the Star Wars IP, just keep printing things and people will keep buying it. But that's because it's not my business that's having to print all these cards and put the risk into it, right? So I don't I don't know the answer yet, but I hope that it's the perfect Goldilocks amount. Ben, how do you think? Uh, it's really tough. I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that, hey, we, we sort of answered this already a little bit with the, the what lessons could we take from the Lorcana question? Um, it's it, the words that really scare me, that make me worry that it might be rough. 
our simultaneous global release. <laughs> uh, trying to hit the entire world uh, with this at the same time just feels like, oh, it came out in England two weeks later and it came out in Australia six months later. And it like that kind of stuff is sort of like normal game release gripes, but they're gonna have that plus the gigantic print runs that TCGs require to get like the card collating correct uh, and getting all that shipped out. And it, I mean, I hope it goes smooth. I hope they print enough product. I, I hope there's no issues, but like Dan said, it's incredibly difficult to really nail that. Uh, and it's like, the, do, do you yeah. look at Lorcana and go, okay, we need to, we whatever need their print runs were, right. we have to do bigger. Or do you look at Lorcana and go, oh, all of those potential customers now already have their lifestyle games, so they're not going to come to us. And that, I, I don't know how to look into the crystal ball on that. I hope and based on what we've seen from like interviews with game companies, if they're if they're reacting to what they saw with the Lorcana launch, if they were launching this game in like the first couple months of 2024, They've already missed the print run for like adjusting what's going to be at stores at that point, unless they're playing oh, a really sure, big yeah. premium to like print a new wave. So I think that like they've already decided how much they're printing for that first wave and they're locked in at it and they can try to do a second printing and bring more cards back, but it'll really be interesting to see if they, uh, if they picked the right number. I hope they did. My, uh, my gut says it will be, slightly underprinted um just because i think game stores would rather game companies publishers would rather underprint and sell out than overprint and have that overhead there forever um and then adjust for fair for future uh sets i hope i hope i really hope we don't have the star wars destiny thing happen again and we don't have Lorcana happen for Star Wars Unlimited. I mean, I am expecting some sort of underprinting, but I hope it's not to the degree that we're seeing, you know, currently. Um, but I, I do not think they're going to over overprint set one. If anything, set two gets overprinted. Um, Cause that's what happens with every game, right? Uh, that mistake's been made a lot of times. Yeah. Um, History. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's that's my gut. Is it's somewhat underprinted, but I I I think they learned from Destiny, and I don't think it will be as severe as what you know Lorcana players are experiencing now. Um, we that's did have, all of them, right? No, we had more in our own Discord. Um, oh, I didn't post goodness. those because they were in our Discord. Um, I'll start with this one from Slip Capone. Assuming a best of three, would you like to see? That you have to bring two decks conquest style, must win with both. He feels this can help preserve a healthy meta. And if this was implemented, do you think a rule that would have to be in place for both decks that you bring must have different leaders and bases? No. No. I'm sorry, Slip. No. No. I don't want anything to do with that. I, as somebody who is likely going to be doing deck checks at the local store, I do not want to have to take my player count and two exit to think about that many decks. I, I get the impulse. I get the idea of like the Hearthstone Conquest format is awesome. Slip is a, a, an accomplished dice thrown player and that's a format that works really well in that game. But uh, 
in Dice Throne, you don't build a deck. You just have a thing. It's all in its own thing in a nice little carrying case, and you just switch over to the next hero. Um, if we're talking about two different decks, like if what we're trying to do is enforce meta variety, I think there's a million other ways we can do it rather than leaning on to cribbing the Hearthstone tournament format, even though I kind of like it. But I don't think it fits this game. Okay, I'm done. You've already heard my opinion on sideboards, so you can, you can guess where I'm going here. Um, again, I, I play a lot of Hearthstone. I love the Conquest format. I don't think it works in physical nearly as well, unless you have like predetermined decks like Dice Throne or like Unmatched. I think when you're building two 60-card or 50-card decks and you've got to fill out your deck list at the beginning of the tournament, and now you've got to fill out a second one and make sure it's legal... And then you start adding restrictions where you say, well, you don't want them building like the same deck minus one card. So you have to like exclude the other 50 cards. It just becomes a giant nightmare where halfway through the tournament, someone found someone had like an illegal pairing of conquest decks and everybody gets mad at each other. And I don't think that's what, what FFG would want to condone. I do think that it helps preserve a healthier meta, but I think it also makes like, Picking that first deck really important, like what deck you're going to pick. So I I think just keep it simple, stupid, do one deck, and get rid of the sideboard. I, I love the idea of the bring two decks. I think Final Fantasy does it, and they do it really well. Um, I don't think for standard events in Star Wars Unlimited, that's something that would work just because like the the way the deck building works with the aspects would get too ridiculous um i th could see it as like maybe a side event you know as like a fun thing to do like a one-off but mm -hmm. that would be cool to do um like even like organizing like a tournament through our discord server and doing you know like hey this one's going to be conquest you have to play with two decks like i think that we could you know pull off um as like a one-off thing, but I would not want that to be the standard like constructed format, but as like a one-off side event thing, I think that'd be fun and cool. And you'd have to make some interesting choices. Cause I do think if you did that, you would want to have different aspect combinations. Like I think you keep heroism or villainy, right. With your leader, but I think you would want to swap aspects. So you're not, you know, like dance it, just playing the same deck with a different leader. All right, and then um, from, I believe this is uh, Roland, is that his name? Shadow of the Bat. Uh, what is everyone's favorite Star Wars character, movie, and book or video game? So, Ben, we'll start with you. Your favorite character, Star Wars character, favorite Star Wars movie, and then your favorite book or video game. Well, my joke answer is Max Revo. <laughs> Uh, as far as a character who actually has an arc, Han Solo, 100%. Like, the scoundrel, full-of-himself jerk who finds a higher cause and, like, learns about sacrifice. and uh, Absolutely. Uh, as far as my favorite Star Wars movie, uh, definitely Rogue One. Uh, not even close, but it, it, the only thing that even comes close to Rogue One uh, in my esteem, and this is probably the new Andor show. I realize I'm showing a little bit of recency bias there, but I really love how grounded uh, both of those were. 
Uh, and what was the last one? Book or video game? Oh, book, movie, or video game. Uh, uh, the Bioware RPG, uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was obsessed with that game when it came out. The first one. second one was okay, but the first one I was obsessed with. Dan? I'm pretty sure we've answered this question before, and I'm probably going to have a different answer, so someone can fact-check me. <laughs> um, but recently, my kids have really started to like watching the prequels, and their favorite character is Saboba, because he says poodoo a lot um, in the first episode. So our favorite family character right now is Saboba, because he seems like a good all-around Doug. Um, favorite movie for me, it would be Rogue One or Empire, but to watch with my kids, it's Phantom Menace because they, they find that movie to be super magical. They think the pot racing is hilarious when things crash. They like Darth Maul as a villain. They get very scared, which is good for them sometimes. Um, and, and Sepulveda is in it. So, um, and we're just going to continue the family theme for me with these questions for book. My son's like really into reading right now. So we've dug up a tote from our garage basement of old star Wars books that I used to own. And there's a really horrible, like not even legends canon, like a really bad canon book called the hand of, or the glove of Darth Vader, which was like, yeah. Yeah. So we've been reading that one and he like, he is super into it every night. He's like, can't we read two chapters? And I'm like, nope, cause you have to go to bed. Um, but it's, we're about halfway through and I don't know if he'll make it through all three cause it's so corny and bad, but it's, it's classic Star Wars. It is bad. Yeah. It's really bad. It's campy though. So <laughs> it's, it's campy perfectness. Yeah. Scholastic. Yeah. I, I just found what that. about you? I just found that book the other, the other day we were going through stuff and my wife's like, can I get rid of this? And I was like, no, uh, cannot. <laughs> I definitely can't. You guys got to start a book club. You can like read a chapter each week and like call each other on your landline phones and talk about it. Yeah. And like the, the front cover is like this black glove. Right. And then it's like Luke, right. Standing kind of. Yep. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, I'm pretty sure I, I got it for like free and then like went to pizza hut and got like a free pizza. Cause I used to do those. Those like book club things for Pizza Hut. Do you guys remember that? Book it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how I got mine. Um, all right. So my favorite Star Wars character, I, I love, I just love them all so much. Um, it changes. It ebbs and flows depending on my mood and the season and time of year. Um, right now, it's probably Boba Fett. About two weeks ago, it was probably Kylo Ren, and in about two weeks, it'll probably be Sheev Palpatine, like a senator version, not chancellor or palp emperor version. Um, It changes. So my favorite movie um, is probably Revenge of the Sith uh, overall. Just the, I don't know, Revenge of the Sith. Story that or Rise of Skywalker because I know a lot of people hate it, but uh, what is happening? Um, I enjoyed that movie from start to finish, just a fun, just a fun ride. I love all of the Star Wars, all of them, not just the originals, but the sequels and the prequels too. They're all Star and the Wars, Christmas special too, and I love them all so, um. I take each one for what it is and I don't 
And then my favorite video game um, is definitely Jedi Survivor. After playing through those, Jedi Survivor is an amazing video game, story, character development, all around just a great uh, experience. So highly recommend Jedi Survivor. And then I think I think that, that sums it up then for listener questions, I believe. Nice. Any any closing remarks before we wrap up for this week? We got a long one, so um tip your waiters. It's true. It's true. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Yeah. And be kind. Be kind. All right. That's the end of this episode of the Saga Podcast. We'll see you in the arenas.